Well, I want you to meet a, a very interesting individual. I want you to meet Reverend Sun Yun Moon, leader of the Unification Church, father of 16 children, and self-described Messiah and successor to Jesus Christ. Now, Moon claims that at an early age, Jesus came and physically visited him, and he commissioned him to carry on the mission, his mission on earth that he had left unfinished. Now, you might be wondering, Jesus, didn't, didn't he finish his mission? What unfinished mission did Jesus have? Well, the, unifica- the Unification Church believes that the, the Messiah was to start a new family, a new family of perfect, sinless people. And because Jesus failed to make this new family, he failed his mission. Jesus died prematurely before he was able to start this new family. And they also teach that Jesus was not a God, but simply a man. Now, because of this big emphasis on creating a new family, the Unification Church is famous for having mass weddings. They've had up to 28,000 people married in one service. I'm not even sure you get a building big enough to do that. But as if that weren't obscure enough, One of Moon's 16 children has created an offshoot church or an offshoot ministry. I want you to meet Reverend Hyung Jin Sean Moon, who's branched off from his father's church. Now, he holds to all of the same beliefs, but he claims that he is now the Messiah. And it is his right to establish a new government from which he will rule the whole world as its leader. Now, Hume believes that this ultimate salvation can only be accomplished by his overtaking of every world government. And so it's no surprise that if you want to overtake the world, you're going to need a bit of weaponry to do that. And so uh, within uh, his church, the AK-47 is believed to be a divinely given weapon from God. And in fact, they, they point to verses in scripture that they think points to a machine gun. Even the crown that he wears, you'll notice, is made entirely from bullets. And he's got a, an army camouflage suit to match his militant um, perspective. But Moon and Hyung, they're not unique in their claims about God or having received new information from Jesus or about Jesus, the gospel or salvation. Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of the Christian Science Cult, claimed to have been visited by spirits who helped her understand that reality itself did not exist and that salvation came about by denying the material world. She said that Jesus never even appeared in a physical body, but in a spirit. And sadly, thousands of people in the Christian science movement have denied themselves medical treatment, believing that the physical body does not exist. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, also claimed to have been visited by an angelic being. He claimed that the angel Gabriel had given him new revelation about who God was. And sadly, the writings of Muhammad would be used to justify the slaughter of thousands of people by Muhammad himself during his own lifetime. Marshall Applewhite was the founder of the Heaven's Gate cult. She claimed to have been visited by aliens who persuaded her into believing that she was the reincarnation of Jesus. Now, these aliens told all of the believers in the cult that the earth was soon to be destroyed, 
And that the only way for them to be saved was to escape their physical bodies and to have their spirits board an alien spacecraft. 39 people died as they drank poison, hoping that they would wake up in a UFO. These sad and tragic stories highlight a number of concerns for us. The first being that bad theology kills. Theology is simply the study of who God is. And if we don't have a good understanding of who God is, it harms us, it can kill us, and it can kill those around us. It can kill us physically, or it can kill us spiritually. The second lesson to take away from these tragic stories is that people throughout all history have claimed to receive new revelation from God, whether it's by angels or spirits or even aliens. Many people have sadly been deceived by these charismatic charlatans. And even today, there are many people still peddling these same lies. And sadly, there are many people still falling for these lies. So if there are so many false teachers in the world, and all throughout history there have been these teachers, how do we avoid being deceived? How are we able to not fall for these lies and tricks and deceptions? How can we ensure that our loved ones are not caught up in these teachings? Ultimately, we must use spiritual discernment. And we must use scripture to identify truth from error. This morning we're going to study three texts that will help us discover the importance of discernment, but also how to apply discernment and how we can protect ourselves and those around us from false teachings. Now, some of the content we'll look at is confronting, but it is not discouraging. It is incredibly encouraging. Ultimately, what we have this morning is a message of hope. So let's turn to our first passage this morning, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, and we'll begin just in the very start of the chapter. First John chapter 4, verses 1, and we'll read to verse 3. Let's begin with just verse 1. John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, what does John mean by test the spirits? It's very unlikely that most of us in our life will experience a literal spirit or evil angel come up to us and whisper something in our ears. It's a very rare event. So what does he mean by test the spirits? Well, you'll notice as soon as he says to test the spirits, he says, because... Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Or in other words, John is identifying that these false prophets and false teachers, behind them is a false spirit. So the false spirits are communicating through these false teachers. And so what John is encouraging the church to discover is when there's a preacher or a teacher claiming to speak on behalf of God, we have to identify which spirit is in them. Is it the Holy Spirit or is it? A false spirit. And Satan is very clever. Satan very rarely will try and deceive you by, make, by coming uh, in the guise of something completely foreign. Satan is more clever than that. He will dress up his deception in Christian robes. 
if he can appear as though he speaks on behalf of God, but then can twist the truth just a bit, he succeeded in deceiving. So then, how do we discern if someone is truly speaking with the Holy Spirit? John tells us the answer in verse 2. John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. That seems like a bit of an unusual test, doesn't it? That a, a teacher merely has to say that Jesus came in the flesh. It probably helped to know what John was, what context John was writing into. At the time that John was writing, there were two main uh, heresies that were trying to infiltrate into the early church: Docetism and Gnosticism. And you don't have to remember those names, but really all they taught was that Jesus did not appear in the flesh; that Jesus was merely a spirit being. And so John here is writing to the church in his day, warning the people of these Gnostic and Docetist um, belief systems, saying, if someone comes up to you and says that Jesus did not appear in the flesh, do not believe them. And I think we can apply that same principle today. The, the lie about Jesus will change based on time and history and culture, but the test is the same. Does the person present the true Jesus? Do they accurately describe who Jesus is? There are many groups, for example, that say that Jesus is not God. In the, uh, in the New Age movement, this is a hugely popular belief, that Jesus was not God but simply a man. We talked about the Unification Church. Jesus was just a man to them. Even groups such as the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was just a man. Sadly, even within prominent branches in Pentecostalism today, there is a denial of the Trinity and the divinity of Jesus. So the distortion of the truth about Jesus will change across time. But the consistent rule is, do they present to us who Jesus truly is? Let's just finish in verse 3. John says, Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. That is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now, often the, the picture that we have of the Antichrist is someone in opposition to Christ. But the word more accurately describes someone trying to be in substitute of Christ. And so what we see is Satan cleverly tries to deceive people into giving them a counterfeit Jesus or a substitute Jesus. It's Jesus, but with a twist. It's Jesus who isn't truly God. Or it's Jesus who didn't come in the flesh. Small little lies and deceptions that Satan tries to use to trick people. But all the while, God has ensured that his true church has preached about the true Christ and the coming world. And we can know by studying scripture who Jesus truly is. So that's the first test that we find in Scripture as to how to discern between a false preacher and a true preacher. But then God gives another test as to whether we can tell if someone is speaking on his behalf. Let's say that someone gives a prophecy and they say, at such a time, such an event will take place. In Deuteronomy, God tells us that if that event does not take place, 
we can have assurance that this person is a false prophet, that they are not speaking truly on behalf of God. And this is a, a, a rampant phenomenon within Christianity today. Last year, there were hundreds and hundreds of prophets who all made one big, big claim. They all said that they'd received visions, dreams from God, that they'd heard God audibly tell them this very thing, that in November of 2020, Donald Trump would be re-elected as president. Now, how did that turn out? Poorly. And that's, I'm not making a political statement. This is a religious one that hundreds of people claimed to speak on behalf of God. And they all claimed to have heard from God that Trump was going to win. And then every one of them made a false prophecy. I love this headline. The prophetic, the prophetic voices speak victory. Not so much. What do we do when there are hundreds of people within the Christian faith who are making false prophecies and are doing it unabashedly? Not only that, but are doing it unapologetically. These people give no apologies when their prophecies are exposed to be false. Let's have a look, though, at Deuteronomy 13. This is our second text for this morning. It's quite easy to know a false prophet is false when the prophecy doesn't come true. But what about a false prophet who actually accurately predicts the future? What if there is a prophet who can perform a sign or wonder? What do we do with people like that? Let's read Deuteronomy 13 verses 1 through 3. God says to his people, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and saying, Let us go and serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So here God describes a scenario. He says, here comes a prophet. He's a dreamer of dreams. He has visions and he can perform signs and wonders. That could be he can do miracles. That could be that he can predict the future. That could be any number of things. So it seems like he's legitimate. He, can, he accurately gives prophecy. He can perform healings. But does that immediately mean that someone speaks on behalf of God? We know that Satan can do many of these things as well. We read that in, uh, in Revelation that the beast at the end of time will be able to perform signs and wonders. So signs and wonders cannot be a a measure of whether someone is a true or false prophet. So what is then? God says it depends on who they say to worship. If they say to worship God, then they check out. But if they say to go and worship other gods, then they are not speaking on behalf of God. Do they, do they say that Jesus Christ is the God-man in human flesh, who took on the sins of the world at the cross? Or do they preach a different Jesus or a different gospel? If so, even though there are signs and wonders, even though they might give a true prophecy, we are still to avoid them because the standard of our faith is the Bible. Not signs and wonders, not miracles, but the Bible. And if we cling to Scripture, 
we cannot go wrong. It is the safeguard which God has given to us so we can know who he truly is. Let's turn to our last passage for this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And this final text is going to equip us in knowing the methods that are used by false prophets or false teachers. God is very explicit in telling his people to avoid certain spiritual practices, particularly those that try and make contact with the supernatural realm. God has already spoken to us through his word and he's spoken through his prophets. We don't need to go looking for more information. God has already given us everything we need. And yet, sadly, the people of Israel fell into these practices. And many people throughout history and even today can be tricked into these false practices. We'll read the verse in its entirety and then we'll go, we'll, uh, we'll go bit by bit through it. So beginning in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 18. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or the one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. These nations which you will dispossess, they listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. That's a long list of lots of different names and titles. And often we can read over that and just put them all in the same bucket. So I just want to slowly go through each of these and figure out what is the nuance between each of them. And in so doing, we can see the different ways that Satan tries to uh, express his lies and false teachings. So the first that we have here is one who practices witchcraft. That is making contact with the demonic or spiritual world. And it's very popular in um, the New Age movement currently and Wicca. But even within certain Christian circles, there is a preoccupation with trying to communicate with angels, uh, a desire to want to try and contact the spiritual world and speak with angels. And it's a very worrying thing when we become overly preoccupied with angels, particularly trying to contact them. Nowhere are we told to try and contact angels in scripture. They're ministering spirits to us, but we don't go out and try and make contact with them. The next one is a soothsayer. This is a fortune teller or someone who uses astrology to predict a person's future. So this is horoscopes and star signs and things such as that. And sadly, these lead us away from trusting in God. We should be able to trust in God that he knows what our future is. And that whatever comes our way, if we have God with us, we can have assurance in him. And yet things like astrology and predicting the future try and take away that trust ultimately from God. In fact, it makes us put our trust in what God has created rather than in him, the creator. Uh, I find it very interesting even that I think it was last year, 
a 13th star sign was discovered. They've added a new one in. Now, to me, I think, okay, does that mean that for the last thousands of years that we've used horoscopes and star signs, it means everyone's been off a few days? So if we've got 13 now, we have to move everyone a few days. So, you know, if, you, if your star sign used to be this, well, now it's this. So your predictions have been wrong the whole time. And it goes to show how arbitrary this is, that it holds no weight, that there's no legitimacy to this. And it's just another distraction that the Christian has to deny. What about an omen interpreter? This is simply a very typical understanding. Your crystal ball seers, your tea or palm leaf readers, or tarot card users. You would, you would probably not believe that within major churches in evangelical Christianity in America, there is endorsement of using tarot cards. There's a, um, a big movement called the Christ Alignment. And rather than using uh, tarot cards or palm cards, they use psalm cards. And they have written on these essentially tarot cards, psalms from the Bible, and they use these to predict people's future using Bible verses. That's a very superstitious way of using scripture. Certainly not a way that we're instructed to use. And yet there is a, a glowing endorsement for movements like this. And it's very worrying. Uh, next, uh, the reference is to a sorcerer. This is someone who used drugs and potions to cast spells, gain spiritual knowledge, and enter altered states of consciousness. Now, Eastern religions have used drugs and psychedelics uh, to enter the spiritual realm and contact other beings for thousands of years now. And you'll notice that in the kind of hippie movement during the 60s, there's a big emphasis on drug taking. And it was because of this, this influence of the Eastern religions in uh, the West. I've had two personal friends come up to me and ask me to take psychedelic drugs with them to enter into a new level of consciousness. And I've politely denied. But I'm surprised that I've had two very close friends both tell me, Oh, I, I, you know, I went on this trip. I completely lost my sense of self. I entered a new state of being. And, you know, wow, it was an incredible experience. You should do it. And I politely declined. I said, no, I'm not interested. This is a very widespread idea. Here's a very interesting fact. The New Testament word for drugs, or, or sorry, for sorcery, is pharmakia. Now, that's where we get the word pharmacy from. Uh, and the, the reason was the word pharmakia was used to describe medicine, drugs, potions, and spells. Now, clearly, if you go down to the pharmacy and get yourself a Panadol or Nurofen, you're not engaging in sorcery. It's fine to go to the pharmacy. But what the, these ancient sorcerers would do was use drugs and potions to, to make themselves enter into a different state of mind and they would, you know, completely lose their, their mind, completely lose their sense of self. And so uh, in that context, medicine and, drugs was, medicine and drugs were so connected to the idea of sorcery that they were one and the same word. That to use pharmakia, to use medicine, was to use a potion or a spell or sorcery. So when God commands his people to abstain from sorcery... He's also including 
Or he's also asking his people to abstain from drugs that aren't for medicinal or health reasons, but are drugs used to, um, that affect the mind. Drugs that will alter our state of consciousness, that will take away our thinking. God wants us to be rational in our thinking. And so he encourages us to stay away from anything that will alter our mind like that. Uh, there's a spell conjurer, someone who puts spells or charms on people. A medium, someone who channels the spirit and becomes possessed. A spiritist, someone who calls up the dead. These, there are, uh, uh, that's the, the end of our list here. But all of these ways are ways that people have in the past and throughout history and even to this day have claimed to receive revelation from God through um, angels, through spirits, through uh, fortune telling, through any number of things. If we want to know the truth about God, we can know that God will not use any of these means to communicate his truth to us. He will use it through his scripture. If he wants to, he can convict us through his spirit, but he's not going to use any one of these means to communicate to us. And so if someone comes to us and says that they've learned something new about God and it's through one of these means, we should immediately not embrace it. Uh, you know, be polite to the person, but don't embrace anything that they say because God will not communicate to his people in this way. He communicates through his word and through his Holy Spirit. Let's turn to our final passage. 1 John chapter 4, we'll go back. Now, as I was preparing this message, I, I read chapter 4 and I read the first three verses. And I thought to myself, I want to finish with that Bible verse that says, greater is he that is in you that is in the world. And so I Googled it and I went, where is that verse? And it was in 1 John 4, verse 4, literally the next verse. So I think God knew what he was doing. 1 John 4 and verse 4. It says, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Who's the them? In this context, it is the false spirits, the false prophets. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome the false prophets and the false spirits. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Or in other words, greater is Jesus that is in you than Satan who is out in the world. We have nothing to fear from Satan and his minions. Nothing. They try and deceive. But we serve someone far greater and more powerful than him. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be paranoid. We don't need to be looking for a demon under every rock. We can have hope and assurance that the God of the universe is on our side. The supreme creator, the savior of the world, the Alpha and Omega is fighting on our side. And if we hold fast to his word, and if we ask for the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual discernment and to follow the true Jesus, we won't fall into deception. You are of God, little children. You have overcome the false prophets because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So to summarize our passages this morning, 1 John 4 gives us a test to, who the pre to test who a preacher is. Do they share Jesus and the gospel? Deuteronomy 13 says, even if a prophet performs a miracle, test to see if he points you to the true God. And Deuteronomy 18 tells us to not take wisdom about Jesus, 
from anyone using occult practices, but to stay away. So what is, the God, what is the word of God appealing to us this morning? Well, firstly, if you are involved in any of these practices that God told us to stay away from, turn your back on it today. Give it up now. Don't hold on to it. If, you use, if you're using horoscopes or tarot cards or any type of fortune telling, throw it in the bin. Get rid of it. If there is an addiction to, to sorcery or the pharmacia, drugs, God doesn't want you to be a slave to them. God wants to set you free and all you have to do is turn away from them today. I've seen with my own eyes, with my own eyes firsthand that Jesus gives victory over the powers of darkness. Satan cannot hold you with astrology, with psychedelics, with fortune-telling, with drugs. The creator of the universe says he can set you free, and you will indeed be free. Turn to Jesus today and be set free. Secondly, the scripture calls us to be discerning of all who claim to speak on the behalf of God. And honestly, that includes anyone who stands behind this pulpit. That includes me. We should test everything that anyone says by scripture. Don't take my word as gospel. Don't take anyone's word as gospel who stands behind this pulpit. Take the word of God as your measure for truth. But really, the only way we're going to know truth from error is if we know who God and Jesus are. I know of Prime Minister Scott Morrison, but I do not know anything about him personally. If you were to tell me a lie about Scott Morrison and his personal life, I wouldn't be able to tell you if that's true or not. Because I don't have a relationship with him. I don't know the guy. But if someone came up to me and told a lie about Cyroville, I would immediately know that they're not telling the truth. Because I know who Cyroville is. I have a personal relationship with her. I can know what is true about her and what people are saying, whether it's a lie. The same has to be true with our relationship with Jesus. It's not enough to just know of Jesus. It's not enough to know about Jesus. We have to have a relationship with Jesus. If we have a relationship with Jesus, we'll know when people are trying to tell us a lie about him. Have a personal relationship with Jesus. Study the word of God. Spend time in prayer and cultivate your relationship with Jesus. Thirdly, warn others of danger. We said At the beginning, bad theology kills. It has killed people in the past and it continues to do so today. If we we saw someone about to drink some poison, we wouldn't just stand there and let them do it. We'd slap it out of their hands. If we see someone going to drink spiritual poison, we have a duty to ensure that they don't do that either. Give them the truth and love. Do it in a way that Christ would do. But warn people of spiritual danger. And finally... Take comfort and take courage. Satan will try his best to deceive, but God is victorious. On every single page in this book, the resounding message is that God wins. God and his people win. They have the victory. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have nothing to fear, but we have everything to hope for in Jesus. Cling to Jesus and you will be safe no matter what.